Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And uh, man, what a treat I've got here. This guy on LinkedIn, I'm telling you, he is doing some phenomenal things on LinkedIn. And if you're not following Michael David Chapman on LinkedIn, you need to be following Michael David Chapman. He's got some great content, doing a lot of great things. He is, I love his profile. He's the father of four. That's the first thing that you see on his profile. And that'll, that'll tell you a little bit about his heart and his compassion and his love for people. And I'm so honored to have him on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Michael David Chapman joins me. Michael, how you doing, man? Good, Brian. Thanks for having me. How are you? Did you say West Virginia or Virginia? No, I'm in West Virginia, man. I'm, okay. I'm, in, the, I'm in the redheaded stepchild state. Is that what that's known as? Yeah. Like it, the yeah. other state? Yeah, it, yeah. Well, people think we're in we're a part of Virginia. They're like, "Oh, you're in West Virginia. Are you near Richmond?" No, I'm six hours from Richmond. You know, I'm four hours from Roanoke. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we're doing well here, man. So let me ask you this: So, we're recording this in the midst of COVID nineteen. Yeah. How, how have you been handling the pandemic? Because everybody's doing it different. You're in the Northeast, up in New Hampshire. Yeah. And, and you guys have been through some hot spots, things like that. So how are, how's everything been for you during the midst of this pandemic? Well, it's so funny. Like when it first popped off, people were like, how, you know, how are you doing? I'm like, other than the threat of losing your life, <laughs> you know, because back when we were, we were struggling. That's with, a big threat, dude. That's, that's right? always big. Yeah. And I'm not minimizing that. I'm just saying like yeah. outside of that, I was like, well, there's no change for me. I mean, I've been working from home from since um, almost three years now. And so, and I'm an introvert, even though I'm probably don't seem like that in terms of some of the content out there, but, but in my personal, like with the kids' life, I love my time alone. Yeah. So it's not been a big challenge for me. On the professional side, it's, um, COVID hasn't been a positive, but things have, things took off because we work in a digital space. We help entrepreneurs and businesses and really anyone trying to build a business, we help them do that on LinkedIn. Do, do, uh, do uh, organic outreach, we don't use any automation, and then content strategy and boosting services. So it's really been good in that regard. Outside of that, uh, it's been difficult uh, with the kids. You know, um, my daughter graduated high school like with two months, to, well, two, COVID hit with two months to go, three months to go, so that was difficult. That was a weird graduation. Um, that's always tough anyway for uh, a young woman who's going off to school in a single parent, you know, single parent home. And then my, <clears throat> my oldest son, he works, he, it really didn't affect him much. He was in essential services. Uh, but my two younger boys, it hit them the worst because they're both very social guys. And so me and um, our son's mother, um, you know, me and my son's mother, forgive me. You know, it was difficult to, to get them to stay engaged because it's like, you know, they go from being engaged and lunchtime and recess and whatever they're doing to it's like this, you know. So uh, other than that, that's that's been difficult. You know, my son mentioned that too. my son. My son will be 20 on on uh, Sunday as we record this podcast. And, and that's what he said too, Michael. He said, you know, 
I miss being on campus. He's a sophomore at Marshall University. He, miss, he misses being on campus. He misses being around other people. And, and, and I don't, what I don't understand is, is, yes, there's a need to be safe. There's a need to, to keep people healthy. There's also a need, though, to be around other people and to be social and interact and things like that. And so I totally get it, man, with, with, with teenagers and things like that. What kind of encouragement have you been giving your kids around, hey, look, I know this is tough. I know this is different. But what kind of encouragement have you been sharing with your kids around what's going on right now? Well, I actually talked about it when it first started because um, it's, this is, that's, a, that's a great question. And this, I think, will help anyone who's, who's stuck in old expectations. I mean, the encouragement has come. The, the, the natural encouragement has flown, uh, flowed from, I should say, right-sizing expectations or in some cases eliminating them. Because, you know, when it, when it popped off, I mean, it was difficult for a lot of parents. Think about the parents that are not work from home parents. That's like yeah. a lot of people. Uh, so I've been, I think the first thing that, that we did uh, as, a, as a co-parenting unit was to minimize, to, to right-size expectations. Not minimize, but right-size them. Uh, from there, it's about like, you know, Michael Jr., my middle son, is extremely cool with tech and being on camera and doing that. Whereas my youngest, he's he's good with tech, but he did not enjoy, does not want to engage um, relationships like that uh, on on Zoom or or Microsoft Teams. So it was understanding the challenges, some of the, some realistic limitations, real real or perceived. Uh, and then managing my expectations so that I can meet them where they are emotionally. And so it's just, you know, when they initially it was complete pushback, you know, we're just not doing school. And so now it's, it's, um, it's been better. One of the things that we did to encourage my youngest was we have a split schedule. He's here 50, 50, but for school, he's at mom's school. Why? Because mom went out and partnered with some other parents, uh, some other moms that are at home to bring four or five students every, you know, on certain days to her home to do school. So, you know, I've supported, you know, and this is for single parent, you know, not being hard and fast on the schedule and doing yeah, what's yeah. best for him and still, you know, figuring out a way to capture the quality time. So that's been very encouraging for him. Well, and, and again, it, it is keeping as much normalcy mm -hmm. as we can because I, Michael, we, we all, we hear it so much, right? We hear, we got to get back to normal. We got to get things back to normal and things like that. And, and I can never, I, I'm 48. I can't remember a time in my life when people have said, I can't wait to get it back to normal. Was that something that you and, and your kid's mom talked about was keeping it as close to normal as, as you can? Because there may be some folks out there that are in the same situation you are with co-parenting kids and things like that. And they're going, man, I, I'm just trying to keep the balls in the air and keep everything rolling so that my kids don't feel that great disruption. Was, was, were those ongoing conversations between you and their mom to say, hey, we've got to be as normal as we can here? Yeah, I mean, she's, she's been really good with, with helping me with that uh, because I'm more linear in that way. Um, so 
to answer you directly, not so much on the front end, you know, because it's, you know, it's disruptive to my day. It's disrupted to her day. It's just been disruptive. I mean, this has been a huge disruption for everyone yeah. along, depending where you, with kids, without kids, single, whatever you are. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's been, again, I'll, I'll take you, I'll take you back to, it's been really um, understanding one another in terms of the communication. I mean, listen, the kids, the kids follow the leadership of the parents, whether it's two homes or one home. I mean, if the, if the leadership's bent, there goes, or, or if the communication's bent between two parents, bent, so goes the leadership. So goes the encouragement. So goes the parenting, the parenting effectiveness. So um, we've, we've stayed in really close communications on the challenges really day to day to get over that hump. We're over the hump. I mean, now they wake up, they're doing their own thing. There's no gaming going on when there should be. You know, my youngest is out of bed at 7, 7.30 on his own with alarm. He's 12. He's coming down. He's making breakfast. He's like, Dad, okay, time to take me up to mom's school. I mean, it's, it's, it's been effective, but it's been about managing those expectations. I hope I answered your question. It's, no, it's, no, no, that, no, that's, no, that's, no, that's really good because, again, I think people are just, Michael, they're just trying to, to manage it the best they can. They're just, you know, it, it's, it, and I use this analogy because down here, we had a lot of guys in this region that I live in, in West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky. It's the old farmer licking their finger and kind of seeing which way the wind's blowing. And, and everybody's trying to navigate. You, you hear, well, we're navigating this pandemic. We're doing this and we're doing that. I want to flip it just a minute because, again, I want to talk about what you're doing professionally. When you're hearing from businesses that you're trying to help them grow organically, on LinkedIn to grow their business. What are some of the things you're hearing from folks professionally around this pandemic? Similar, you know, uh, uh, well, from a marketing perspective, people that were smart, we've seen this with major companies, but you know, on, um, from an entrepreneur perspective, people that were smart with money, that, were, that came in, that were approaching this season unbeknownst to them where everything was gonna sort of stop and, uh, COVID-19 sort of popped off. People that were smart financially uh, continue to market mm -hmm. you know, on social media because they understand intrinsically this is going to have a beginning and an end. Uh, so that's been good. But, you know, a lot of what people were talking about was, you know, their own clients pulling back. Everyone pulled back. A lot of people pulled back, pulled back, pulled back. And so working with them, assuring them uh, being being flexible in our offering, being flexible with their time, being flexible with, you know, in, in certain cases, payables has been what, what everyone sort of have talked about when we've done our, when we've done our weekly calls with our clients, being flexible. Well, because again, I think people are trying to understand what they can do to either recapture revenue or hold on to as much revenue as they right. can. And marketing seems to be the one thing, Michael, that, that most companies say, okay, when things are good, we're going to continue to market. But when things are bad, that's the first thing that tends to go from a budget is, is okay, right. we got to cut, cut marketing dollars. That's right. And, yeah, and, and, and that's the thing is that people should don't understand is, man, when things are bad, you double your efforts in marketing because you want to try to attract new customers. You know, you've got to, You've got to keep that pipeline flowing. When you talk to people about organic marketing, what's the first thing that you hear from them as far as that term goes? Because I don't know that 
a lot of people are keenly aware, even astute business people know what organic marketing is. When you throw that term out there, what's the first thing you hear? Um, either I don't know what that means or it doesn't work. So working backwards, it doesn't work to personalize a message, you know, knock on a digital door. It doesn't work to knock on a digital door um, or better yet, let's go back to selling. Cold calling doesn't work. Cold calling is dead. I mean, you know, anytime I've ever heard that. You brought, well, let me, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm really glad you brought that up because again, I see so many people that talk about cold calling and I remember being in sales and loving cold calling. Because again, I, I knew that, that I wanted to meet people. I wanted to interact. I wanted to, to get them to know me and me to know them because every sale starts with a cold call. I don't care what you sell or what you do. You don't know everybody you're selling to. And so every sales process begins with a cold call. And, and it's funny, man, that, that you, you think about this day and age, you and I are talking over Zoom right now. You, you, and we're, we're recording this podcast that way. It's funny to me that people are so reticent to cold call, but then they're like, oh yeah, let's jump on a Zoom call. It's the same concept. So how do you get people past those fears of, of, of cold calling and things like that? Because again, man, if you think about it literally and granularly, like we're, we're talking about, it's the same concept. You got to debunk the myth. You got to, you got to, the way that we do it, you know, and I have a, <clears throat> a, a shameless plug. I have a, uh, a 30 day online, you know, six to 15 minutes of dude. We're all about shameless plugs here. Plug yeah. away. It's, it's, six, it's totally six, cool. It's six to 15 minutes of self-guided content every day. Me, me and, a, and another entrepreneur in Australia, her name is Rana Cordai. She's, she's a, she's a sales coach co-created this content for people that are non-sales people. Like, they're, they're engineers, right? Or they're coaches or whatever. And they're, they, they see themselves, they're in a traditionally non-sales role, even though they have to sell. So this is what you have to do. You have to debunk, you have to debunk the myth that it's something outside of themselves when it's like, okay, uh, have you ever been on a date? Yes, I have. Okay. Are, are you married? Uh, yes, I am. Um, when you, when somebody has bought something from you, did you, have you ever bought something in your life? Did you, you know, when you, if you financed the car, did you negotiate the price or did you just take the highest price? I mean, you have to make, you have to associate with something that for the most part aligns itself with this thought. If your mouth is moving, you're selling something, but not yeah, in a, a traditional point. sleazy way, right? I mean, it's a, it's a mindset shift. So, you know, back to the digital piece, like when, when I hear people say cold calling is dead, I just like, well, these, these people don't like people. <laughs> I mean, you know, they probably have friends, but they have all point, the man. Yeah. They have all the friends they need. Um, if you're saying cold calling is dead in the context of knocking on a door and, and, and looking like something out of a, 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 a an 80s B-rated movie or, or use, you know, used cars, that movie. Remember used cars? Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, Cadillac. Well, the one I saw was Cadillac, man. You remember that one with Robin Williams where yeah. he was a used car salesman? Yeah, yeah. Used cars with Kurt Russell. I mean, like, I mean, come yeah. on. I, I, everyone gets that. But for the most part, right now, as you and I engage, you ask me a question, I respond with an idea where I'm either answering that, you know, I'm not responding to not get in. I, I put it this way. The best way to explain it is I'm responding in an open and honest way, but it is with the intent of answering you and probably having some degree of influence. 
Yeah. Well, it's moving interest. It, it really is about, Michael, it's, it's about moving interest because you, you were talking about dating and things like that. You know, if, you know, in, in talking about that concept, you know, there, there is zero interest, there's mild interest, there's moderate interest, there's heavier interest, there's heavy interest, and there's definite interest, you know, so you move through those stages. And, right. and again, I think if, if, we, if we look at it that way, I, I think, and, and I've said this before on LinkedIn, I think many salespeople have forgotten how to buy themselves. They work through exactly the same process in their own buying habits. But then when it comes to selling in their professional life, there's like, well, we got to do this, we gotta do that. We gotta, right. it, it's all the same thing. So when you're coaching, I'm curious here. I want to just stay here for just a minute. As you're coaching an entrepreneur to yeah. think differently, because my 20-year-old my son has said, well, dad, I'm not a salesperson. And I've told him, I said, look, man, you're getting an engineering degree but you may go to work for a company that may want you to go out on a sales call with somebody to explain to a customer how the design works. So you've got to have some of these same principles mm -hmm. in place. So how do you coach a, an entrepreneur with that mindset of, Oh, I don't sell anything to get them to think organically about starting to sell in that process. Well, it's reminding them what the end game is. And, and I'll use this example. Um, after I answer, I use an example of a, a real life, a case study, um, you know, you don't have a business without sales. Yeah. You know, when you, when you, when you hear of an acquisition, let's just say a, an acquisition where the business is built on contract, people are buying the paper. Yeah. They may need the plant, but oftentimes in the industry I worked in the, in the, uh, industrial laundry business, I mean, that business is, is all when it's bought and, you know, and sold, it's, it's the paper. Yeah. Typically they don't buy the people. And oftentimes they don't buy the plants, the asset. They don't need the trucks. I mean, they have, you know, sometimes they do something, they don't. My point there is you don't have a business without sales. So it's important to remind, and the example I want to share is, um, and we had this client from like end of May until about three weeks ago, we, we scheduled about 300 leads for them. And what, and that was great. And they closed some business and that was great. But eventually the client discontinued because uh, it wasn't for a lack of leads and it was leads from like hot stove to ready to be at some point put on the stove. Maybe, maybe a little bit better than cold, you know, interest, but Hey, send me an email, something to go into a follow-up process. I mean, their sales cycle is, you know, six weeks maybe mm -hmm. uh, to close. And so it's a process where someone interested, yes, email me the information. And then you would say something like, well, okay, Brian, I'm emailing, by the way, I, you know, Say no, I'm going to follow up with you in about eight weeks to, you know, get your information. Eight weeks, could be three days, could be four hours, whatever, whatever it is. They didn't have, they were not a sales organization. Do you know what I mean by, when I say a sales organization, like, what do you mean? Like a bona fide, like we are here to sell. Yeah. You know, we're not here to get leads. You know, so that's interesting about our business, like an increase in leads will really expose a, a successful lead generation effort, outreach campaign will expose issues or deficiencies or opportunities to improve in your mm -hmm. sales process. Mm -hmm. so you got to help people see that. Well, and Michael, here's the thing too, is, is that many companies will, will say, okay, um, we want to do that. We want to do lead generation and things like that. 
And then they complain about the leads that come back or they go, well, this, this customer doesn't fit what we do or this, like, wait a minute, this customer is responding in some way positively to what you do. And there is interest there because of, of who you are and the standing that you have, you've resonated with them. Don't shut that customer out completely because that may be exactly the customer you're targeting. You think you're trying to target X when, when Y, when the marketplace is saying, but Y is really what you do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, or, or it's, again, there are times when, I mean, if you've got a situation where you've got a consistent flow of leads, at least on LinkedIn that are not a fit, I mean, you've got an issue in, I mean, it's not going to be hard to, to find that issue. I mean, it's trash in, trash out, right? Yep. But to your point, what you're talking about is they say that, but it really is a thin veneer sort of hiding or masking issues around successful follow-up. You know, people that really understand why they get a paycheck, why they have, you know, great fringe benefits, why the organization exists is to sell, in this case, service right yeah and if you don't have people on your team at the front line all the way to the top um where you have people that don't understand the intrinsic reason why the the organization exists you're not gonna it's always gonna be what's wrong with this lead well that yeah you're gonna have that him and on instead of let's figure out a way not in every case you can't be all things all people but i'm saying like if they're in the family of potential clients cherry picking what's wrong with the lead I mean, that's, that's an example of an organization that is not a sales organization. No, I a hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. Because again, I think people don't know what they don't know. Correct. And, and, and again, you, you may have the, you may have a product that, that is the most altruistic of motives and you go, well, we're not everybody, everything. I, I was having this conversation with my wife this morning. We were talking about college hmm. and I said, don't be misunderstood. Don't be mistaken. Higher education is a business. They're just using tax dollars to do it. They're just using federal and state tax dollars to run their business. But, but it's absolutely a business. It's absolutely about how do we bring more revenue into the university and things like that. And so, yeah, man, it, it is. And, and for somebody listening out there that may think to themselves, okay, well, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm really purposeful about what I do. I enjoy what I do. I think I serve people well. There's got to be something else more that takes their business to the next level because nobody wants to stay where they are. At least, it, you know, if you're running a business, you, you should want to grow, right? Well, again, I mean, again, that's, again, a great question and point that I've been in, you know, I've been in the sales world long before I did specifically lead generation in the digital space. And, you know, when you turn on the faucet and people are interested in, when you have a well-built profile where it's, especially if you're in a crowded space, let's say you're a life coach. I mean, that is an extreme, or just a coach. That is an extremely crowded space. Yep. And at the end of the day, because I do coaching as well, people typically gravitate towards relatability. It's, it's skills and certifications and all that, but it's going to be relatability where I'm comfortable because they're looking for something they can't get in traditional, you know, personal development channels like therapy and other stuff like that. Coaching is totally different. What I'm saying is when you have a, a bang up profile that literally separates you 
from the competition and you have a very clear avatar and you have a very clear non-pitchy message and those leads start coming in, but you have a coach that they don't understand they're, they're, they're in sales first. Yeah. They're a coach second in their professional life. Now they may be a, a wife, a husband, a father over here. I'm talking about you are a salesman or woman first because without sales, there is no coaching business. Yeah. And, and, and before we pivot there, I, I want to park on that for just a minute because a lot of people may not realize why we do the Intentional Encourager podcast is I have a lot of ex expertise in sales and sales management and things like that. There are a ton of podcasts that speak to that and they're great podcasts. You should listen to them. I wanted to do something that, that told really cool stories of really cool people and some of the things that they've overcome in life and some of the ways that they have risen up to get to where they are in life and, and made them who they are. You know, I, you can, I love what you said there. You can see an avatar of somebody and you can see the image that they have professionally and, and, and what they, what they ascribe, ascribe to be, but you don't know all the road that they took to get there. You don't. Yeah. And so that's why I wanted to do the intentional encourager podcast. Now I want to take a hard left turn. I love what I love about you. You are so intentional about bringing up uncomfortable things. You, you're not afraid to tackle uncomfortable topics. And so yeah. let's go here for a few minutes. Yeah. Take me through your story yeah. and, and go as far as back as you want to go and things like that, because you are very purposeful and intentional about talking about certain things. And that's what, that's what I love about you, Michael. So, the yeah. floor is yours, man. Go ahead. I, I, mean, I want you to tell your story. I don't mind. I don't mind admitting. I mean, I, I think prior to forty, I had legitimate, but at the same time, excuseful, excusable, excuseful, daddy issues. I mean, my dad left when I was born. Uh, she divorced him when I was eleven. He's he's been an alcoholic his whole life. Um, you know, he. In my case, you know, when you're typically the typical alcoholic father is one that comes home, is drunk and abuses everybody verbally and physically. We, I saw a little bit of that, but for the most part, I had like no attention. I mean, that's attention, right? It's not good attention, but I had like no attention from a male role model. And so, you know, when, when young men, and I, this isn't exclusive to young men, but because I am a man, uh, when young men grow up without any attention from a male role model, they sort of figure it out. And so that's, that's, you know, and, and, you know, my mother was very, very strong. You know, she, she, she raised us on the front row of a Baptist church. I mean, and so uh, that probably, not probably, definitely kept my brother and I in line to a point. And then there was, then there was God. I mean, it was like, you know, then it was like the, the unintended or in some cases intended consequences of just nonsense that we found ourselves in. But Back to, back to your question. I mean, like I, I was searching, even though I, you know, I was a Christ follower my entire life. I mean, I'll save when I was 12. I really didn't understand. That was more of like fire insurance. I mean, I felt, okay, I'm, I'm a bad guy. You know, there's this bad place I'm going to, okay, this gets me in here. It really wasn't relationship. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't discipled. You know, even if man, somebody, I, I got to tell you, I, I got to jump in here. Your childhood and my childhood sound really similar. Yeah. Because Baptist kids and Pentecostal kids 
always had the fire and brimstone drop down on them from their parents. Like, God help you if you misbehave in church. God help you if you did something. Because that's the way I grew up, man. If I did, my aunt was my Sunday school teacher. And I remember my dad lighting me up like a Christmas tree because my aunt called and said, he was a hellion in Sunday school today. And it was like, it was like fire. It was like, so you're talking about that. And I'm like, that's my childhood. That that's yeah. It's kind of like this. I've I've always joked. It's like it, it, it's just terrible. Like, and I mean, I went. I sat on the front row. I mean, from 1980 to 19 until really the the the, the split of that church, the front row of Charles Stanley's church. Right? Oh wow. Yeah, and, you know, Andy was my youth pastor. I still listen to North Point every week. Um, so I always say this. So this isn't for anybody. This you know. You know, Baptist out there takes a fifth, but it, it felt like I was saved every Sunday and I was like going to hell on Monday. <laughs> it's the truth, man. I mean, that's just the way it was. I mean, like, and are you sure but, that wasn't Bapticostal? I mean, really, are you sure it wasn't Bapticostal? And that's some of the best, you know, at least in those years and still the best Bible teaching you can find. Um, so I hold to that. Uh, but that absence of, of a male role model turned into, you know, it was this pursuit to get affirmation, get attention, whatever, turned into, into adult life, into professional, to married life. I've been married twice. I'm a single father now. It turned into an excuse for everything. I never remember saying, well, because I don't have a father, it's okay for me. Because I didn't have a father, it's okay for me to be in a rage. I never said that, but I behaved that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because my dad left, um, it's okay for me to not have integrity on this issue at work. I mean, but can I draw a line between that reality or that bad decision back to lack in that relationship, lack in fathering? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's fair to a point. It's not fair. And what I realized you know, later was that I was making subconscious excuses because I, I, you know, and I didn't learn this later and now I help men do it. I never learned to grieve that loss. You're like, well, what do you mean loss? Like he's still, he's actually is still alive. Um, but I, I lost a dad that I never had. That's still a loss because, you know, when you think about the family, we were supposed to have a dad, we're supposed to have a mom, you know, we're supposed to have two parents. I mean, all the statistics support that Kids are better off with two in the home. We're not even going to go there. The data is in. Um, I think, in fact, it's probably the, the number one thing we're facing in this country, regardless of minority status or whatever, is the absent father and the irrespons- You know, the, 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 our culture that says it's okay for dads to forsake the responsibilities at home. That being said, I was, I was just walking around this wounded guy that really needed to learn to grieve the loss of somebody that I never knew. So I did that. I did that during uh, my second my second separation and second divorce. I learned to grieve the loss of a relationship that I never even had, because I was able to learn that, that grieving process and finally being able to say, "Wow, I had been behaving out of this trauma of loss." I mean, he was abusive at times, but really he was gone more than he was there. So I did see some abuse and some yelling, but it was the absence. It's hearing nothing. Mm-hmm. It's not getting anything from a part of the world that needs to, you know, from a man that feeds a man, a man teaching a man how to be a man. Yeah. Um, I had to grieve that. 
I got to ask you this. What, what would people that, because we, we've seen Dr. Stanley and we've seen Andy Stanley from a distance, you know, now, now uh, First Baptist Atlanta, uh, their services have been broadcast nationwide for probably 20, 25 years. Yeah. But growing up in that church, what, what do you, what do people not know about Dr. Charles Stanley and, and Andy Stanley that they would be like, Oh man, that's, that's kind of cool. That's, that's pretty cool that, that these guys are actually, because you read, Michael, you read different things and you see different things. And of course, Dr. Stanley went through a, 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 a personal situation a few years ago in his own life. What, what, what is something about, the Stanleys that would, people would be like, yeah, that's, that's neat to, to know that, that maybe is not there in the forefront. Well, I want to be fair and clear, like, you know, when it, 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 back in those, so, so I never um, knew Dr. Stanley personally. I was a little guy. Um, I'm sure that he probably remembers my mother and would probably remember my brother and I because my mother had us on the front row of that church for years, okay? Um, Andy, on the other hand, would definitely remember my name and face. And I didn't engage. When he was a youth pastor, it was still so big, dude. It, like, even though I could have walked up to Andy and said, Andy, you know, you know, what, what do you think about this and what do you think about that? Like, he was completely approachable. It's, it was still big. And I was a young kid and, you know, smoking cigarettes, <laughs> you know, as a young kid, I was doing stupid stuff. And so I would, I would have been afraid to go up to the pastor. Are you sure you wasn't, are you sure you weren't a West Virginia Baptist? That, oh, that's, yeah, what, yeah, that's what yeah. some free will Baptist in West, dude, I got to tell you this real quick. And, and I don't mean to jump in, but we're Sorry. just having a great conversation. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. Okay. Yeah. Hair, you know, when I grew up, my mom had a hairdo like the Marge Simpson beehive hairdo. I, my, you know, skirts to the floor, you know, when, when, when we would shout in service, you know, Bobby Finns would be flying like machine guns. I mean, it was, that's the church that I grew up in. And so I was in college and I dated this girl that was free will Baptist. And I went to church with her and it was a little country Baptist church. And the first time I ever saw a, a preacher preaching with a pack of smokes in his pocket was in that church. Are you sure, man? That's why I ask you, are you I sure you didn't grow up in rural no, West Virginia? No, no, I never saw Stanley's with smokes, just to be clear. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, I mean, this sermon church, brought to you by Marlboro. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the church was in downtown Atlanta, and I was a skater kid. So, you know, I'd like conveniently have my skateboard in the back seat of our, or in the trunk of our car, and during Sunday school, I mean, I'd go get my board and when my mom thought I was in Sunday school, I'd be up at, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a song they did. The band was called good. Anybody that goes to first, goes about first Baptist church Atlanta knows this. There's a, the, the, um, the Wednesday night thing was called good stuff. How cool was that? It was the good stuff band. And they had this song, you know, you remember smoking in the boys room? Yeah. A Motley Crue. They had smoking at Wendy's because <laughs> or get, getting out to Wendy's or something. They did this spoof song. I was like, that was totally me. I was like, how do they know? was totally um so funny but back to your question let's make that a huge preface to answer your question no that's that's good man. i mean they were i mean listen they went through a i don't know all the details i was a young guy i was just graduating high school um but this is what i would say about the stanley's from a from fifty thousand feet you know that the what appeared to be the breakup of that church because of what went on um 
And the, I think those two men and the women in those two men's lives, from what I saw, were an example of how to be a family when something doesn't work. You know, I mean, I can say a lot of things about Andy Stanley. I mean, Andy Stanley, when I was going through my second divorce, I mean, I was plugged into every bit of content I could get from him. And he was one of three or four pastors that I listened to when there was nobody or nothing stuck here in New Hampshire. Um, so I could say a lot about, but I can't speak a lot about him personally, other than that's a good one. Like, I just remember, I mean, him talk about the differences in some of his sermons and then see, you know, from a distance that like, that's still a family that loves one another. And maybe everybody didn't agree, but you know, in, 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 the, in, in the world of religion, right? I mean, usually, you know, you don't agree with me and I don't agree with you. I mean, that's boom, you're done. You know, you're, you're a pariah, you're out. I mean, I didn't see any of that behavior going on in that family. And so, and again, I wasn't very close. I mean, I'm like 55 degrees of separation. I want to be clear for anybody. He was my youth pastor for a time and he was my pastor for a time. And now, you know, Andy's a guy I listen to every week. Yeah, you, you lose touch with people. Now. Yeah, you lose touch with people. And, and, it, and it happens, you know, you lose touch with, you know, that that's one part of your life that's gone and, and things like that. And, and, you know, that's the thing too, is, is just because you serve the Lord does not insulate you from divorce, doesn't insulate you from, from problems. It doesn't insulate you from anything, man. It, it doesn't, I want to be clear about that because people will say, oh, you Christians are just, you know, you guys are just, you Jesus followers, man, it's all sunshine and roses. I'm here, we're here to tell you it's not. Nowhere close to being that. Well, some of that's because of how it's sometimes, you know, it's painted, right? I mean, like, yeah. you've seen this, and I think anybody that's a Christ follower understands this, like, you know, you get a little, you get a little victory in something in your life, and you know, Brian's not doing it like, oh, man, I'm, 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 you know, I've let go of that thing and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to be nicer and I'm, you know, oh, I'm going to start telling Brian, you know, how I did it and what he needs to do. And all of a sudden, you know, they got a preacher on Sunday morning, but now they've got you, they've got me in this relationship. You, you've got me in this hypothetical. Now you get in the side, but well, Brian, you need to do that. I mean, like, oftentimes I think what happens with that one is where believers slide easily and it happens to all of us from chasing the relationship to chasing the rules or being more interested in the, the formula than, than the heart. And listen, I've done that. I mean, I did that in my second marriage. We're both believers. She was a pastor's kid, you know, and we live, I mean, we, I'll speak for me. I lived that without even knowing I was doing it for a long time. Well, it, it, it becomes process. process over product. Yeah, it process becomes people. Yeah, right. or process over people. Yeah, because you 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 think okay, if I don't do this 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 and this, the product is not going to be this. Right. And it's like, well, wait a minute, it's not really about the process. It's more about you know getting yourself. Listen, there are days that I totally fail. I totally fail, God. They, and I'm being completely transparent. Mm -hmm. The beautiful thing is like parents, you know, our kids could, could, could totally fail, totally screw up. They come to us, they look us in the eye and they go, dad, my, my son, I, we have one. My, my son could come to me and say, dad, you know what? He could look me in the eye and say, you know what? I screwed up. Right. And you know what? I'd look at him. I'd give him a hug and say, 
So all is forgiven. That's the Lord. You know, you, you come to him with a, a repentant heart and you say, listen, God, I messed up today. And he goes, guess what? All is forgiven. And, and every day we wake up, it's another day. Something I want to go here with you, Michael, because I, I and again, I, I mentioned a few minutes ago how intentional you are. A, a subject that you broach quite a bit is mental health. Mm-hmm. When, when, when you talk about that, what, what was the prompting inside of you to start really being forward about that? Because you're, you're forward in a subject that most people want to be reticent in. What, yeah. what was it that caused you to go forward with talking about those things? Three data, three fundamental, three key uh, data points or mar- markers in my life. In 2006, um, my then in-laws were going through, might have been 06, 07, they were going through a divorce. And I remember hearing my then mother-in-law say about her then husband, I, I think so-and-so has been depressed his whole life. And I'll never forget, like, you know, we were in the middle of discussion talking about whatever, and that, that stuck with me. And I'm like, and so that would have been, what are we, 14 years ago? I was in my early 30s. I remember thinking, I think that's me, and then doing nothing about it. The next marker was um, going through the second divorce and recognizing for the first time that, and that, that, that really started at 40. Um, I think I've been depressed my whole life because the root issues of unresolved hurt, trauma, pain, abuse, physical, mental, other ways um, that has just been sitting there that I have not grieved with my father in heaven. And then the third was um, when I, I I put that into action, I put it, I put together a, a series that I did about a year and a half ago. It's a nine part series on men in depression. Again, to be for everyone listening, I'm not a therapist. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I don't talk about medication for it or against it. Although my entire journey was, was anti-med uh, and there was a lot of ignorance on my part there. I think my kids would have benefited um, I know I would have benefited and my kids would have benefited on, strate- on certain parts of uh, during the second divorce because it was traumatic. I mean, I just, I, it, it rocked me. Um, but that nine part series that I did on men and depression, it's on my profile, um, was me coming out, if I can say that, and say it's about four to five minutes saying, look, this was my journey and this is my understanding of it, where I really break down what I learned about it and what was at the root of it from the inside out around the ignorance, the shame, the guilt, the denial. Um, I really unpack that. And I go on to talk about um, how it showed up in my kid's life, how my fear of saying, I need help. My fear of saying, really, I'm, you know, I'm not right. I'm not healthy. Started to show up in hurtful ways for my kids. What was the greatest lesson that you learned through that time of discovering what you were going through and how you were going through it? Because it would be real easy to do that privately. It would be real easy to do that quietly. But what was the greatest lesson that came from that, that you, that you now will take publicly from what you went through? Um, Really two. The one of them was, and it's kind of the, seems like it might be the antithesis of what I'm saying, or the opposite. Um, You know, when you grow up with an emotional deficit, 
Okay. And I think that is the entire world on some level. I mean, even <clears throat> people that had great relationships with their parents, you know, everybody goes through a hurt and pain and they have a hurt and a deficit, whatever. But I'm talking about for people that like from day one or most of their childhood, they had one or both parents that were bad or weren't there, or you just, in my case, I just had silence from a male role model, whatever. I mean, the, one of the things it's hard to do is, is, to, is, to, is to be alone, right? And so one of the, to be alone and not be lonely, to be alone, to, to say lonely, you know, being alone and being lonely are two different things. It's really a skill that I believe every human being, you know, prior to like age 10 needs to learn. Um, and so I couldn't do it. And so I went down all of the paths throughout my life to, to not to be alone and get attention and do all kinds of things. So when you lose something that you feel like you don't want to lose or you shouldn't lose in a relationship and it's not the first time, then you're faced to look at yourself. And in my case, one of the things I learned during that time was the value of being alone, specifically with the Lord, right? The value to be alone and not be lonely. So that's number one. The second one was to be able to say um, that as much as I thought I knew about forgiveness and everything we read uh, from social media to the word doesn't matter, okay? Um, there's always, or there could always be a new level of releasing people or yourself of debts, which is what it is. And so um, there was a there was a part in 2018. Um, there was a real breakthrough moment in February of 18 where there was a new level of forgiveness. Um, you know where I had this conversation with God. I was like, "Well, I have let it go." He's like, "No, you haven't. You're still looking to have something that was wronged, some some way you were wronged, and it was a big wrong. Um, you're looking to still be justified. You're you're looking." To have that person's face rubbed in, name it, yeah. name it, which was the truth. And I'll never forget, man. I, and this was this was my son's mother. I'll never forget. Um, by that point, her and I probably you you talked to her more than I did. By that point, I mean we used to talk. It was like, you know, raised trying to trying to co-parent two kids from ten minutes away. We don't talk. And I'll never forget, like you know, just calling her and in complete tears and say, look, that you know this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to let everything go. And we're going to, I'm not living like this anymore. And it, this sounds very generic, but like that was for any single parent out there, someone's going through that. It's very difficult to, to submit to that when like you're in the right. I mean, like you line up a thousand people, they'd all agree you're in the right and you're owed something and you're owed the money or you're owed the apology or whatever it is. And then to hear a voice, a very quiet voice that, for people that are not believing, like, what, what do you mean hearing from God? That's insane. Like, did you hear? I said, no, it was just this in this understanding of trying to like, like, God, why am I so miserable on the inside? And it was like, you're still holding debts that are not yours to hold. And it took about a year, but now like we're at a point where we, we talk daily and we can co-parent and there's, I just can't even remember that dude, man. I don't, I remember what I did and did wrong. And I remember, you know, I can remember, but I don't remember a lot of the things that she said. I don't remember somebody the other day, this is off topic, but somebody the other day was, you know, I challenged the notion that like, 
you know, something like, you know, your words may be forgiven, but they won't be forgotten. I was like, nah, I think that's garbage. Yeah. And I started to say that person doesn't know Christ. <laughs> yeah. Which is, is that thing we said earlier where, oh, oh, you know, so you can judge me. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, I mean, the truth of the matter is I understand what that means at the root of it. Intrinsically, I get it. Like, if I start, if I start losing my mind on this podcast, start cussing and doing F words, like it's gonna be a long time before you forget it. The question is, do you want to remember that? Like, I understand, I'm kind of going into a little rabbit hole of what forgiveness versus, but what, what I want to say is like, I don't remember a lot of the things she said to me, hurtful things she said to me. It's not that I've like clicked it off, but it's like, I've intentionally said, no, I, I do want forgiveness to be forgetting. That's different than trusting. That's different than saying, well, Brian's a thief. He stole from us. And I don't remember, so, you know, like I, I naively have this friendship with you. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when I have listened to someone's case for uh, forgiving is not forgetting, especially around words, typically there's still a little crumb or two of unforgiveness. Always. I shouldn't say always. Most of the time. If you listen long enough, they'll go down the path of what they did and they're still in the story. And like, before long, you're like, is this debt been forgiven, released or what? What's going on? Um, I, I say that just to just encourage people. And this is the intentional encourager podcast. Yes, it is. That, that part of forgiveness and the thing that I learned was, is to say, Lord, help me not forget, not magically, but like if, if it's, put it this way, if it's a sharp edge, like I never wanted to be married to you. I was married to you for 10 years and I never wanted to be married to you. I mean, that would hurt anybody. What you're looking for forgetting is to have it dulled. Yeah. Because the sharper it is, the harder it is to let go. The harder it is, I mean, the more they owe you, the more words, the sorry that's never coming and off we go. So I learned that Forgiving and forgetting do hold hands. Well, and, and it's, it, it is, I'm, I'm thinking before I ask you the last question I had, I'm thinking about the, the parable when Jesus talked about the man who owed a debt, it was forgiven. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, someone owes him money and he goes and basically does a mafia shakedown. Jacks like, him up. Yeah. It's like, you, you're going to pay me what you owe me. And the man who had, you know, this guy owed more money to the other guy and the other guy who forgave the debt said, listen, you owed me way more than that guy owed right. you, but you, right. but I showed you forgiveness. I showed you mercy. You should have gone and done likewise. So now it's going to be harder on you because you didn't do the right. That when you were talking about that, Michael, that's what I was that in my mind, because you know, we, we are such a, I'm going to file that away and I'm going to remember that so that I can weaponize it against you at some point. Yeah. Like, again, to, 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 to separate those two, you know, it's all about the, the heart. I mean, the leaders lead from the heart. What is the intention of the heart? It's forget, if, we're, if you're saying forgetting, you know, forgiving is not forgetting. If it's for the purposes of protection you know, you've genuinely released a person of debt, you know, you're just, you just need to, you remember it because, you know, you have a tendency of trusting people too much or something like that. It's great. But for the most part, who wants to remember being abused? Who wants to remember 
you know, especially if somebody like the, at one point the relationship was good and then it went sour because of drugs or alcohol, some st stupid thing somebody did. Who wants to remember that? I don't need to remember that to understand that Brian's trustworthy or not. Right. And so question on the flip side, you know, I'm going to hold on to that because Brian did this to me and, and, and you know, but you're forgiven. You know, th that's not the way it works. <laughs> you know, man, Brian's a jerk, you know, <laughs> that's not the way it works. Yeah, I, 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 it's probably controversial. I mean, people, I don't know what your listenership is like, but people are like, what's this guy talking about? I'm just saying like, only you and your creator know your heart. And yeah. if, the, if the goal is to genuinely forgive, then part of me is going to say, like, like, help me not. I want to see the best. I mean, especially in a co-parenting situation, I need to see her in the best light possible. I'm still called to honor her. Yeah. End of discussion. And when I understood that, that meant like, well, I don't really, I don't remember a lot of this stuff. I just don't. I mean, I, it's because I just don't think about it and it's gotten further and further away. If I sat here and think, and you're like, tell me everything she did wrong. I'd get there, I guess, but. Well, yeah, I mean, because again, the the mind, you know, a lot of times we hold on to things in our in our lives that people have done that we should have released long ago. And, and the person that did us wrong, they're they're skipping along through life, and we're just like, but I'm still holding on to this. <laughs> Obviously, they've forgotten it, so why don't we? Well, so yeah, then then you know it's not forgiveness. But again, who, yeah, it's not for us to. I mean. It's not for us to make a judgment until we have the facts. So. That's right. That's right. Hey, I, I got to ask you this before we get out of here. Leave the folks with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. I ask everybody on every podcast, yeah. what's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement, Michael? You know, it's more of a piece of, you know, if you're, you know, again, I'm somewhat, I mean, I've watched the news. I have some friends, whatever, but I've been like, I didn't, I wasn't part of, a large group of people that, you know, when this thing hit and companies were in bad position, they just pulled back, you know, and I, I remember watching this, the story of Marriott, you know, and I don't know where they are now, but like all those people that like all of a sudden, man, I, I used to, I, used, I was a platinum member for years. I mean, like all those housekeeping people and front desk people and general managers and whatnot, they just boom, there's no place to work. You know, they're not sitting, I mean, they're like, they're a commodity. They're needed everywhere. You know, that, you know, if you found yourself in a position where you took, you know, you're still taking the financial hits from the, um, from the pandemic, you know, the one thing I would say more than anything that we need outside of provision, money to feed our families and all those things, that is unique every day, okay? And need to ask for those things wherever you're at, do you pray, whatever that is. But the one thing I would encourage people to ask for and learn to do now more than ever, and I always say this, it's like, what is your one piece of advice? It's to learn to lead your heart. I mean, and I, that comes from my playbook of failure. I mean, like I followed it. I followed it. And so learn to lead your heart really comes from what Solomon talked about. And, you know, in my take and my paraphrasing of that is, you know, Everything that we do is coming from the inside. It's coming from um, what's going on on the inside. Even if we've closed the distance between the heart and the mind, logical and the feelings and whatever, it's always coming from the inside. So if the, if the inside is bent with guilt, greed, anger, lust, 
you know, I should have what Brian should have, envy, jealousy, all these things that's difficult to see, then, then the leadership follows that, right? And I say that, you know, like, what does that have to do with me getting a new job? Well, that, that's a great point. I mean, if you're now getting some job opportunities, and again, you're not seeing these opportunities for what they are, um, you might not make the right decision for what's right for your family, for your life, for your professional life. So the difference between follow your heart and lead your heart typically is objectivity, is wisdom. The ability to have a listening heart. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll end with a, a short story. The last job, the job that moved us from Atlanta, Georgia, I lost my job in 20, 2012. And by the end of that year, I had six opportunities. Two of them would have kept us in Atlanta. And that marriage, the marriage I was in, was in no condition to do a fourth move, fourth move in under six years, okay? Uh, and the economy was pretty good, you know, 2012, you know, we were coming back and, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't struggle with getting opportunities, but I didn't have anyone in my life by my own choosing, other than my wife at the time, anyone in my life that could help me develop and continue to develop and season a listening heart. So we made a decision together instead of what I really needed was a Brian Sexton or somebody to say, hey, tell me about the condition of your marriage. How often do you date your wife? Why are you really moving to New Hampshire? Oh, it's a tax-free state. It's the, best, it's the best deal on paper. And again, we've got people listening like, Michael, I have no deals. I get all that, but still, that's an example from my own life of the need to have a listening heart so you can lead it versus follow it. Man, what that is so cool. What what a great conversation Thanks. we've had, man. And and I told you before, I said, we'll go about 35, 40 minutes. We've gone an hour. And, gone and, an hour. And, yeah, Thank God my next, my next guy was like, let's punt our call yeah. so, so we could continue to go. My three o'clock canceled. That's fine. Well, yeah, but this is a great place for us to stop because, again, you've given us a ton of wisdom right there. Thanks. In, in that. Um, go connect with him on LinkedIn at Michael David Chapman and uh, tell folks where else they can connect with you as well. Just Michael. there. <laughs> Just there. Yeah, there, there you go, man. Hey, this has been a blast. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thanks for having me, Brian. Take care. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day of his work. And until next time, remember everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.